0: Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. Some of you were gone on a trip and we're glad to have you back and we're glad that the masses are here. We miss you. Now I see you and I'm going to miss you more. Ciara's driving up to Mount Hermon right now to lead worship for the whole week for their staff training week. So if you keep her in your prayers as well. Today, as we talk about the covenant of grace, I want to ask you some questions. Have you ever based the status of your relationship with God on how well you are doing rather on what God has done for you? Have you ever judged yourself and others based on performance rather than what God did for you? Have you ever lived in constant condemnation for your mistakes? Have you ever been afraid someone will know the real you so you wear a mask? Have you ever believed there's a limit to God's grace? If so, then you might be living as a legalist. You might be living under the bondage of legalism rather than grace. I'm a recovering legalist and a recovering perfectionist, which actually is perfection is perfection. It ain't going to happen. I used to live as a legalist my whole life. I thought that the harder I worked for God's approval, the more he would love me. And even after I got saved, even though I felt like a weight had been lifted off of my shoulders, religion started to creep back into my life, and I felt like I had to prove my worth to God and to others. And it's only been recently that I've Really learn to live in God's grace. And I can say that knowing that my default is not that. I'm my worst critic. Things go on in my head that if it was a movie, it would be depressing at the time. But I've learned to not listen and to not watch that movie anymore. I've learned to accept the grace of God and to live in grace. Because when I can live in grace, I'm free. Jesus said, if you know the truth, it will set you free. Well, the truth is that there's nothing that we can do more than what God has done for us. And we just have to receive that in faith. You know that Abraham was a sinner? If you read the story of Abraham, there's oftentimes he would lie about things and finagle, you know? And when we get into Jacob, he was a finagler. But the point is that God uses sinners. And God called Abraham out of his land to follow him to a land that he didn't even know of, which is the land of Canaan, the promised land. We talked about that last week. Abraham lived 4,000 years ago, but we still are connected to Abraham, who is the father of our faith. So today, we're going to look at part two of the covenant, which is Abraham, the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of grace based on faith. It's a covenant of grace based on faith. If you turn your Bibles to Genesis 15, that's where we're going to look at 15 and then later uh, some of 18, I think. But in 15 verse 18, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And remember, his original name was Abram, which meant father exalted father, and then God changed it to Abraham or Abraham, which means what? Father of multitudes of people and nations. The word in Hebrew, the phrase made a covenant, would literally be translated as cut a covenant. The word for make is karat in Hebrew, which is to cut, and berith in Hebrew is covenant. Now, the covenant in these days in Mesopotamia, 4,000 years ago, was ratified by two parties. They would cut an animal in half, and the two parties would walk between the pieces, which signifying that the two were becoming one. That literally the marriage covenant is that. But there was another part of it, that if someone broke the covenant, they would end up like the dead animal. In Jeremiah, we read God speaking through Jeremiah about the transgression of Israel and God's covenant, where it says, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life, and their dead bodies will be food for the birds and of the sky and the beasts of the earth. That's a serious break of a covenant, that they made, that they promised God. So a covenant is a serious agreement. And the Mosaic covenant, which is referring to in Jeremiah here, was bilateral covenant, which there were two parts, two sides to it. We're going to look at the covenant, the new covenant, and this Abrahamic covenant as unilateral. We'll talk more about that. But in Genesis 15, if we look at verses starting in verse 7, God said to him, Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, remember, <laughs> of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess or to occupy it. So Abraham said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will occupy it? So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, which is a young cow, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So this is like a major covenant, a lot of animals, <laughs> But he said, then he brought all these to the God and cut them in two and laid each opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds due to the small size of the bird. And then if we jump to verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. We'll know in a minute why. And so Abraham's asleep, but God said to Abraham, now imagine hearing this. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. So God's given a prophecy where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Where is he talking about? Egypt. This is many years later. God is telling Abraham, the father, from where the seed of Israel would come, that his descendants would be strangers in a land. That wasn't theirs. They would be enslaved. They'd be oppressed for 400 years. That's how long Israel was in Egypt in bondage. But here's the good news, Abraham. I will judge that nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. What book is that in? Exodus. As for you, Abraham, you shall go to your fathers in peace. So you will die and you will go to heaven. He will be buried at a good old age, Abraham, which was 175 years old, okay? Then, in the fourth generation, they, your descendants, will return here to Canaan for the iniquity or the sin of the Amorite is not yet complete. That is an amazing thing to ponder because God could have handed over that land right there to Abraham, but that wasn't the plan. We knew Israel had to go into Egypt for 400 years. They got out. They could have gone right into the land. They didn't for how many years? 40. But here's the thing. God was still working in the Amorites, who were godless people, inhabited God's promised land for 400 and, well, more than that, for many, many years. Even while Egypt was in Israel, God was giving the Amorites a chance to repent but they would not. So God would judge them and take away their land and give it to God's people. That's how God works. Now, he could have just judged them right there. He didn't. He waits. The Bible says that he waits for all to come to repentance so that they would place their faith in Christ. Here's what's happening. Remember, Abraham is asleep. So if we go to verse 17... It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. Now remember, the covenant, cut a covenant, would be between two parties, and both parties would walk between them. But here we don't see Abraham walking between them, do we? Who do we see here walking between the cut animals? Well, in Exodus 19, we can find out more about the smoking oven where we read Mount Sinai was all in smoke, which represents God's presence because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. So the smoking oven is who? God. We can find out about the flaming torch in Daniel Daniel has a vision, and he said, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. That was a region where there was lots of gold. His body was like beryl or topaz. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of the tumult. Who might this be? Yes, God's son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the flaming torches represent God's judgment. In Revelation 1, we know it's Christ because it says in the middle of the lampstands, John has a vision. I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were like white as wool, like snow, and his eyes were like what? A flame of fire. Abraham was asleep, in God's presence. But here's the point. Abraham was not walking between those. He was not the one that was making the covenant. God was making the covenant to Abraham. And Abraham had nothing to do with it except to believe. Verse 18. On that day, the Lord, Karat Berith, made a covenant with Abraham. This is a unilateral agreement. It's not dependent on Abraham. Thank God. It's not dependent On his performance. It's based on God's faithfulness and mercy, which is everlasting. Now, we do know later that God gave Abraham a way of professing that belief, which was circumcision, but that came later after Abraham believed. So on that day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abraham saying, This is the promise to your descendants, or the literal translation is seed, I have given this land. Who gave the land to Abraham? And it's in the perfect tense, which it's done. Because last week when we talked about verse 7, God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to occupy. Here, later in verse 18 God says, I have given you this land. It's a done deal. Now, what land? Which land? Well, we'll look. From the river of Egypt, which river would that be? I would say the Nile. Some people say it's another one, but it's the great river of Egypt. I think it's the Nile. As far as the great river, the river Euphrates, so that's the great river. And these are the people that inhabited the land, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Parasites, the Termites, the Cellulites—no, I just kidding. the Amorite, the Canaanite, and the Gigasite, and the Jebusite. There were ten nations mentioned there that were called the Canaanite nations, godless people. In fact, Kenites were named after Cain. Was the first murderer. So they were ruthless people. Now let's look at that land as described in those verses. Where's Israel currently? Here. What has God promised? That. Why is there a fight over land? Because God promised that land. Satan will not hand it over very easily. In fact, the most land that Israel Occupied was in the time of the Davidic kingdom under Solomon. Here's the Nile. Here's Euphrates. All this. So when you hear things about occupation of land, it's God's land. And one day, Jesus Christ will reign in Jerusalem, and that will belong to all God. And there will be a huge battle. The battle of what? Armageddon. They fight for that land. Does that help you understand what's going on in the world? It should. That's why I said the Abrahamic covenant is not all fulfilled yet. Now, interestingly enough, the boundaries correlate with the Garden of Eden. Not that big. But if we go back to Genesis 2, it says, Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. We really don't know where that is. It flows around the whole land of Havilah where there's gold. The gold of that land is good. The Bellum uh, and the ox, onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. We don't know where that is really. It flows around the whole land of Cush. But we do know the next rivers. the name of the third river is the Tigris. It flows east of Assyria and the fourth river is the Euphrates. It flows out of Turkey. Many people, and this could be the case, believe that the Garden of Eden was somewhere in Iraq, modern-day Iraq. Remember, Adam and Eve were given the keys to that land, and they handed it over to Satan for a time. But God's given the keys back to us through Abraham, to his seed, which is Christ, and his descendants, which is Israel, and the church. The church does not replace Israel, some people Teach that. That's incorrect teaching. God still has a plan for Israel because there's a whole chapter in Revelation that 144,000 of them will come to Christ, and that God's going to save Israel. But right now, we are the Gentiles, if you're not Jewish, that are, have a chance now to become a part of the tree of salvation, but there will come a time when Jesus will come back and judge the world, and he will reign in Jerusalem with us. So we can then sing, his land is your land, his land is my land. When we come with Christ, we get to reign with him. So that's the Abraham covenant. But the new covenant is the covenant we're under is also a covenant of grace. Grace is undeserved favor. We don't deserve grace. We deserve wrath. But God has offered his grace. Jesus said in Luke and the night before he was crucified in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So blood is involved. It's the blood of the perfect lamb of God who gave his life for our sins. And we can now be under the new covenant because of what Jesus did. How does one get into the new covenant? By faith, right? Jesus, yeah. By faith in Jesus Christ. We can't say everybody's under the new covenant, right? Because not everyone has accepted Christ. But if you have, then you are part of this new covenant, which is a better covenant. We don't have to keep sacrificing over and over again. So that's the bilateral entry. There's a two-part to it. You know, God offers our grace, but we have to believe to enter into the covenant. But once we're in the covenant, is there anything we can do to to cause us to be kicked out of the covenant? No. Do we often live like that's the case? Like, oh my gosh, if I make a mistake, I'm, I'm kicked out of the family, kicked out of the covenant. No. No, God's grace... By his grace, he has deposited his spirit in us as the assurance of our salvation. So like Abraham, it's not dependent on me. Can I hear an amen for that? It's not dependent on my performance. It's not dependent on how worthy I am. It's not dependent on how perfect I am. It's dependent on God's grace. And I think if you really believe that, you should take a deep breath of grace and just say, Thank you, Lord. That's not dependent on me. Galatians 4 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You have a new relationship with God under the new covenant where you can call God your Father. Now, let me ask you a question Does the Holy Spirit does God's spirit ever die? So if God's spirit dwells in the believer, which the Bible says he does, then will the believer ever die? Physically, but not spiritually. But some people go, I don't feel like I'm saved. You know, I've, I've heard people say, I, I messed up so bad, God can never forgive me. Well, I like what Martin Luther, they attributed this to him. Feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. So place your faith in Christ and believe his word. John writes, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now I have a choice. I can believe what God says is true about himself and about me, or I can choose to not believe, which in itself is a losing proposition. I would say choose to believe in God and what he says about you, not your feelings. But you have to understand that this is a gift of grace. God makes the first move. And then we respond in faith, but even that is an act of his spirit working in our life to draw us to himself. And then once we place our faith in Christ, it's a done deal because we receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee for eternity. So God's part is grace. My part is faith. So let's talk about faith. Did Abraham exhibit faith? Yes, he did. So in chapter 15, verse 5, God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring or your seed be. Now, did Abraham have children at this point? No. In fact, he was 75 years old when God called him out of the land of Ur to follow him to a land that we show him. And how old was Abraham when he had Isaac? A hundred. Never give up hope. Now, the seed, there's physical manifestations of that seed. Obviously, Isaac and Ishmael. Remember, now, Ishmael, God said, you'd be the father of nations. The Arabic nations is Ishmael. Isaac. By the way, Ishmael, if you read in Galatians, Paul speaks of Ishmael as the son of the flesh. Remember what happened? They tried to finagle a deal with God. And what Sarah said to Abraham, sleep with my handmaid. And of course, he's not going to go, no. You know, he's like, oh, okay, I'll listen to my wife. You know, everyone says, listen to my wife. So I listen to my wife. And they had Ishmael, but that was a works thing. They had Isaac way after that. And the Bible says that Sarah's womb was as good as dad and Abraham's 100 years old. That was an act of grace. See the difference? So that even that itself is showing God's grace We have Ishmael and Isaac, but we also have Christ, who's the seed, and out of Christ are the believing seeds, which is the church, right? So we can see now that it is a lot of people, like billions of people, like the stars and the grain of sand, okay? So that's a huge amount of people from one person, spiritually and physically, if you were Abraham and Sarah, would you believe if God told you to look in the sky and you have put yourself in their sandals and look in the sky and say, I know you have no kids, but one day you'll have that many kids. Would you believe? I guess the question is, do you believe God, generally speaking? Like when God says in Romans 8, 28, read it with me. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Okay, when God says this in Philippians 1.6, read it with me. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe God? When God says in Ephesians 3.20, read it with me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, do you believe? Do you believe? Because if you don't believe that, then odds are you won't believe other things God says. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat and he began to walk on water, what was the cause of Peter's ability To walk on water. Let's look. Matthew 14. Peter's in the boat, said to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come, Peter. And Peter got out of the boat and walked in the water and came toward Jesus. What is the cause of Peter's ability to walk on water? His belief in God's word. What was the cause of Peter's sinking? Matthew 14, 30. But seeing the wind. Now oh, come on. You don't have to see the wind. What kind of excuse is that? He saw the result of the wind. He became frightened, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. So what was the cause of Peter's sinking? Unbelief and distraction. He saw the wind, and he took his eyes off the Lord. And he didn't believe what he just believed seconds ago. He unbelieved. That's like us. Just a minute ago, you said, I believe those things. And then you go through life. You know, tomorrow, something happens. You go, oh, what's happening? Why is this happening to me? That's how it is. If you want to walk on water, who wants to walk on water? That would be like amazing, right? Who wants to move mountains? If you want to do those things, then believe God and keep your eyes on him and don't be distracted by the wind. But here's the greater message. Even in Peter's missteps, did Peter have missteps? A lot of them. God's grace held him safe because in Matthew again, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. What does Jesus do? Ah, oh, it's your fault, Peter. Sink. You should have never taken your eyes off of me, Peter. Learn your lesson. No. No immediately jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of peter and said to him you have little faith or trust why do you doubt and that word doubt means why do you waver why do you look in two different directions basically why do you look in two different directions that's grace and faith working together but it all begins with grace And when you believe God, you can walk on water, you can move mountains, and you will trust God to do what he said he would do. Now, the next verse in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, is one of the most important verses in the Bible. It's quoted many times. It says, Abraham looked in the sky. He didn't have kids. His wife and he were getting old. And he said, God... I don't believe you. Is that what he said? No. It says, Abram, what? Believed the Lord. He believed God in the midst of every reason in the world to not believe God. And what did God do? He credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness. How did Abraham receive God's righteousness? How did Abraham become right with God? Was it because he was this great guy that just kept doing the right thing? No, he believed God. The Abrahamic covenant is still in effect today because that is how we get into the boat with Christ. That is how we become a part of the family of God. In fact, look at this chart. This is a picture of, of Abraham who lived around this time. And then we have Moses here. And so Moses was given the Mosaic law, or the Mosaic covenant. But that was, Jesus, remember he said, I came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to what? Fulfill. But this is a covenant based on faith. And Paul and the New Testament writers always refer back to saying, yes, that's still how we get in. It's still evident today. And obviously, there's other things that haven't happened with the land and those type of things. When was Abraham credited as righteous? When he believed, but also, was he credited as righteous before he was circumcised or after? Before. So again, it's Paul writes to the Romans, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So it's not about works. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading from verse 16. Paul's writing to the Romans For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That's the many nation, as it is written A father of many nations have I made you. He's writing to the church. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, calls into being that which does not exist. He's speaking of the dead womb of Sarah. In hopes against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. This is Abraham. Now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, in verse 20, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, God was able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only, Was it written that it was credited to him? But for our sake, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, God, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, the seed, Jesus Christ, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. And then verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God and how are we justified with God by faith in Christ? So it's the same thing. So we're in the same type of covenant of grace, but also by faith. So the new covenant is also a covenant based on faith. So it's of grace, but it's based on faith. In fact, uh, in Galatians, Paul writes in chapter 3, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him. It's a counting term, like balanced to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, what does it say? All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So Abraham is important because he's the father of our faith. So now, how should I live out my faith as did Abraham? How does this apply to me? Well, first of all, I should obey God. I should obey him. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of what? Faith, with the writer of Hebrews lists a lot of people from the Old Testament who lived in faith. And one of those persons is Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. That's important. Because it's one thing to say, I believe, but really when we act out our belief, we are obeying. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Jesus said this, read with me. If you love me, what? You will keep my commandments, obey my commandments. That's the love of a son to a father, right? We fall short, but our heart is to obey God and believe, not only believe, but act it out in faith. So we don't want to be looking in two different directions. We want to be looking at Christ. And then the second way we can live like Abraham is to deny myself, say no to myself, and say yes to God. That's what Abraham did. Hebrews eleven nine says, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Did Abraham ever experience the blessing of the promised land? No, but we do, we will, we have. But Abraham denied himself. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, read it with me. He was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. And that means say no to myself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does the cross represent? death to self. So I say no to me, I say yes to him, and I trust that what he has for me is better than what I have for myself. Next, I fix my eyes on Jesus. I fix my eyes on Jesus. That's what Abraham did. He was looking for the city which has foundations, who is architect and builder's God. He was looking For the promised land. He was looking for Jerusalem, but in essence, he was looking for the eternal Jerusalem, which is the heavenly Jerusalem, which will be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. And so Philippians, Paul writes, read it with me. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if my citizenship is in heaven, then I should be looking to heaven doesn't mean I can't enjoy the wonderful things that God has blessed us on this earth. That's not what I'm saying. That's not in the Bible. In fact, God gives us blessings. But we shouldn't be so focused on earthly things that we forget where we really are citizens of heaven. That's what Abraham did. And in fact, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, That cloud of witnesses includes Abraham and all the believers that came before us, surrounding us. Let us lay aside every encumbrance, and that can mean weight, and the sin which so easily entangles us, that's unbelief. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God has given you a race, and you've already won it. you just got to run it. And it's not someone else's race. It's not your neighbor's race. It's not your kid's race. It's not your husband's race, not your wife's race. It's your race. And remember, I always said, grace without God feels like a race. So you got to start with God, and then you have grace. So God has set a race before you. How do you get to the finish line? you what? Fix your eyes on Jesus. If Jesus were to walk in faith, Physically right now, how would your countenance change? What would be different? Would you be afraid? Some people get afraid. Like, oh, you know, he's looking down on me. I had a friend who was a counselor at a Christian college, and he shared stories with me where he would counsel these Christian students. They would come in for counsel, and they would talk about their problems, and he would ask this question. He said, if Jesus walked into the room right now, Would he be frowning at you or smiling? He said, most students said frowning. He wouldn't be frowning at you. He's smiling at you. He loves you. See, that, to me, sets me free. So if Jesus were to stand up here and look at you, look at me, what would change our perspective? What if we read this book every day at the beginning of our day? Would our perspective change? What if we talked to God all day long? Said, Lord, you know, that person that cut me off right now, I'm so angry at them. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Now, don't close your eyes while you're driving. I'll give you that much advice. What if when you were stressed out and you remembered, oh, I'm stressed out, I should pray. Would things change? That's fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's perspective. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he had joy because he knew what was on the other side of the cross, and he despised the shame of the cross, and guess where he is now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. And one day, he will come back, and we will be with him forever and ever, in his presence, forever and ever. And then when we just think it's like couldn't get any better, then he has a new heaven and a new earth that's like so much better than this one. And then we'll be there with him forever and ever, and we'll see Jesus, and he won't be judging us. He'll be hugging us. That's why it's so important to believe. Abraham believed, believed. In verse 11 of Hebrews 11, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life she was 90, since she considered God faithful who had promised. This is important. Abraham and Sarah, as messed up as they were, they had one thing going for them. They both believed in God. That's a marriage that's equally yoked. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore, God's promises come to pass. Do You believe God. Do you believe when Jesus said, and all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Now, some people go, oh, that means that God's like a slot machine or a candy machine that I just put things in and he get no, no, no. If you believe God, you'll believe what he says and you will pray according to his will. And when you're not praying according to his will, you'll be so convicted that you know it's not according to his will. And then you end your prayer with, Lord, that's my prayer, but your will be done because you're way smarter than me. Because prayer doesn't change God. You're not like debating with God. You're talking to him, and that in itself is changing you. So how big is your God? I mean, is he as big as Abraham's God? He should be. He's the same God. How big are your prayers? How much more do you have to expand your prayer life and expand your prayers and trust God in those prayers? What's weighing you down, encumbering your race? You need to get rid of that. You can't run a race with a huge backpack that's weighing you down. Throw it off. Be free. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And run the race. But you got to do it by fixing your eyes on Jesus. And believe his word. The gate. Christian Bible Church, we have a huge vision. The vision is over 20 years old. The vision that the Lord gave me before this church even was planted of a place that's land that is given to God for God's purposes. And people come there, a place where they can experience God in the midst of their daily shopping and their daily traversing, and their daily fun with the family, where there's parks, and there's a place where their kids can get tutoring, and their families can get training, and people in the community help each other. And way in the back, there's buildings for churches, where churches can meet, and they're way in the back for a purpose, because we want people to walk in the gate, the community at the gate, to go as far as they want to go, but we hope that they'll take a right turn and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the vision. Do you want to be a part of that? Hopefully. I do. If you want to be a part of that, it's going to happen sooner than later. I'm telling you right now. This vision is coming to pass. We need to get in the race, each one of us, and start doing our part to reach these people for Christ. Because if the vision isn't in our heart, it ain't going to happen out there. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a big, great God. Created everything from nothing. And then you created us in your image to have authority over the world. To lead, to be a light in the darkness. To subdue the enemy, and the darkness. And we do that by your grace. We don't fight the battle in our flesh. We fight the battle in the Spirit, in God's Spirit. We pray to a big God. We pray for those who are lost, that we know that their eyes would be opened and they will receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. We pray for this community center, the vision that is coming to pass, that it will leave a legacy beyond us. And one day, when people are experiencing hell on earth because they rejected God's grace, they will come to the community center, and they'll read about what's going on during this seven-year period, the Great Tribulation, and they'll see that all they have to do is repent and accept Jesus Christ into their heart, and they too can be saved. Lord, the Abrahamic covenant is not totally fulfilled, but one day that land is going to be given back to you. And I pray it's during our lifetime. Because, Lord, you know what's best, Lord. You know, though, you're waiting for people. We want you to come tomorrow. It would be awesome for us, but it wouldn't be awesome for those who are not in Christ. So, God, please continue to work by your grace. And if there's anyone here today That's not in Christ, that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior by opening their heart and saying, Lord Jesus, I believe in you and I want you to come into my life. Thank you for dying for my sins and I believe in you and I trust in you. Whoever calls in the name of Jesus will be saved. Lord, we look forward to what you have because you're a great, awesome, gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bardowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com.